Hey guys, do you have a screenplay you need feedback on? Well, you are in luck. I, Julio, the half of the contrarians that speaks with an accent, am doing official screenplay coverage now. And if you're a listener of the show, you'll get a discount. Just email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and tell us which is your favorite episode of the podcast and why. Turnaround is about two weeks and you'll get detailed notes that are even more thorough than what we do in the show. Although it'll also be less funny. For more information, email wearethecontrarians at gmail.com or visit our website, wearethecontrarians.com, and click on the Julio Reads Your Scripts link. Your voice is beautiful. The uh, reason I got into Catch and Release is because Susanna Grant saw Evening with Kevin Smith and was just like, I think you have a wonderfully human side to you that people don't often see as the mute character you normally play. <laughs> She's like, right on. So, um, and Deb Aquila cast that movie, so she cast Die Hard as well. And she was like, hey, we got a small role for a dude who just hangs out in his house and is on the computer all the time. And he's a little overweight and doesn't really go out. I'm like, just bring the camera to my house, because. Because let me tell you, ain't going to be any acting involved. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Of course, my name is Alex, joined as always by my friend Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing, I'm doing all right. I think I've healed. Uplifted. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever grieving I had going on in my life, um, it's, it's gone. Mm. It's been, I caught it and I released it. And now it's, it's gone. And then you ended up on the beach with Timmy, Timothy Oliphant. I, I can think of worse fates. Oh, absolutely. Less sexier fates. Ending up on the beach with Kevin Smith for one. And even then, if it's Kevin Smith that we get in this movie, I... I okay, the not Scott Speedman in this movie. Yeah, he's Dennis. kind of a bummer. Yeah. Or Juliette Lewis's character in general. <laughs> a massage from hell. Yes. We're here today to visit 2006's Catch and Release at the uh, request... Uh, almost urging of uh, <laughs> Julio. Uh, I don't know that that was that's accurate. Part of a Kevin Smith two-parter, uh, basically just a um, a gap filler. Just we're, we kind needed two of, episodes. I, I, I feel bad saying that Kevin Smith is just like our filler until mm-hmm. the summer of Travolta, and especially it was the time. Everyone this, takes a backseat to Travolta. That's true, but the the, the timing is just so weird because. I swear, we announced this, or we decided on this, and then literally, like, the next week, Kevin Smith had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then suddenly, it became even more of a, more important. It can't be just a filler. Now, it, it we need to, we can't just dismiss 
Kevin Smith's participation in this movie. <laughs> What's the latest on that, by the way? Is he okay? He's it was fine. like a massive heart attack. Oh, he's though, fine. Right? I wouldn't be joking about it if yeah. uh, <laughs> if it wasn't okay. No, he. I mean, I haven't been clicking on the articles or anything, but he on Twitter he seems fine, and he's been on a few podcasts. Nice. He, he seems to be, at least on the surface, he seems to be back to normal. Um, well, but yeah, that's it. That's it. The thing here is that he is just an actor in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's not a writer or a director, so. Uh, he's just Kevin Smith. He, yes, <laughs> delightfully so. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean. We couldn't even if we wanted to. It would be wrong to just dismiss his role in the movie. Mm-hmm. If he was writing and directing, you couldn't because it's his movie. But here, it's just a movie that he's he had just to be part of. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, but in the wake of him having health problems, it'd be really weird to make a Kevin Smith movie or a, a movie that he's part of and not even acknowledge it. Yeah. So, so I am glad that. I'd, I'd seen this movie once before, and I'm glad that his role here was about as prominent as I remember. <laughs> if nothing else, I that that I remembered correctly. He does get a good amount of screen time, uh, but as you mentioned, it is not a Kevin Smith directed or written film. Uh, this was directed by Susanna Grant and written by Susanna Grant. Uh, Twofer. Yeah, she uh, going through her filmography. Most famous for writing, or I would assume her claim to fame in her own mind would also be. Uh, writing Aaron Brockovich, and she also directed some episodes of Party of Five and wrote them. Do you remember that show? Dude, I've watched all of Party oh, of Five. Oh, good Lord. Um, That'll be our, our our spinoff podcast someday when we're both... Just, Party of uh, Two. Party of Two. <laughs> uh, so, Catch and Release, 2006. Uh, the incomparable Jennifer Garner makes her way back to the Contrarians podcast um and she's she's here to play she's she's she's, she's all business yeah. All right. yeah none of this supporting actress bullshit well it seems like this was a bit of a misunderstood uh romantic comedy um and also on the side of the dramatic it's a movie about healing so but there are we do have some good laughs in this yeah it it, it tackles that mostly uncharted territory of uh death in grief driven romantic comedies <laughs> successfully uh, it, i may add it did not do that successfully with the critics though as it does stand at a meager 21 percent uh well what do critics know really uh starting with claudia pug from usa today who says release yourself from boredom by giving it a miss Ooh, we started with the puns but if you think that's bad yeah i was gonna say i'm, I'm sure there's plenty on oh uh, dude walter chaw from film freak central we've we know we, Walter Cho peripherally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody harbors a secret crush on Gray. That's the Jennifer Garner character. Mm-hmm. But hey, so does everybody since Gray has fairies and butterflies flying out of her vagina. Jeez. I know. <laughs> Do you think he feels strongly about that movie? I, I don't. We don't see like a Disney sequence where they come flying out or anything. Right, there's a director's cut that Chaw had access to. <laughs> uh, James... The original Oscar cut, just called <laughs> <Yes>. Catch. <laughs> Catch, but don't release to the general audience. James Plath from Movie Metropolis says, Garner must have been thinking of puppies being drowned throughout most of the filming because in almost every frame, she appears as sad-faced, puffy-cheeked, and red-eyed as Renee Zellweger on a bad day. That's Her like, fiancé just died in the well, movie. Well, also just going out of their way to insult Renee Zellweger. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Poor shame. Uh, David N. Butterworth from RecArtsMovies.Reviews Simply says, ugh. <laughs> Simple enough. U-G-H. Direct and to the point. 
Uh, Philip Martin from Arkansas Democrat Gazelle. <laughs> no, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Okay. <laughs> Either way, it's still funny. Yes. Uh, he says, a strange fish of a film. Susanna Grant's directorial debut, catch and release, glitters and reeks. More, uh, more fish puns. Mm -hmm. And finally, Forrest Hartman from Journal News, Westchester, New York. Can we really be expected to invest in a budding relationship between a woman and the best buddy of her dead lover? Yes, we can. I think, I think this movie answers that question. <laughs> Emphatically. Uh, so the movie, the star of the movie is Jennifer Garner, who plays Grey. Uh, the movie begins at the funeral, or the wake, as it were, of her um, husband, fiancé. They didn't actually get married, correct? Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Grady was his name, and I we don't find out how he dies. I think there's a uh, they drop some hints that it might have something to do with extreme sports. Because mm -hmm. remember, there's a guy in her office that says that I don't know he recounts some freak accident that he knew about and compares it to. That's her. right. And then when Kevin Smith has his Oscar clip, yes, he he mentions something about how he had always meant to tell him, "Hey, don't do that kind of stuff. It's too crazy." And yeah. So he feels guilty. That's right. Uh, Oscar clips galore in this movie. There are a plenty. Uh, Gray just can't take the. Basically, she has social anxiety, and she also can't just take the insurmountable grief that she's uh, stricken with during this. So she just goes and finds a bathroom in the funeral home or wherever they are, and uh, for whatever reason, there's a bathtub in this funeral home. She just takes a seat in there and just tries to relax and take her mind off of it, and shuts the shower curtain behind her. When wouldn't you know it? In walks uh, one of her fiance's best friends, Fritz, played by the incomparable Timothy Oliphant, who he's not been on the podcast before, has he? Um, well, I mean, he's never I been mean, in the studio. <laughs> that one time you took the week off. That's and, right. And I just had he a, filled in for me. <laughs> yes. They never released Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> it's a damn shame the audio quality was too poor. Yeah. We got too drunk. You can't really understand what we're saying. Uh, no, uh, he. I don't think so. I think we've mentioned it plenty of times mm -hmm. because uh, you know his, he casts a large shadow. And that he does. We've we've plugged him and uh, talked about Danny Cordray at great length on right. the podcast. And, and I mean, we just did it while we were watching this movie, and yes. I brought up that he is the best diehard bad guy. Fuck Alan Rickman. <laughs> it's the, jeez, uh, <laughs> starting hot and heavy on the podcast. Uh, but he, we get the. You know, all we need as far as an establishing character um, profile, and that he's just chatting up this woman at a funeral. It, you know, allusions to um, Wedding Crashers here with Will Ferrell's character. Um, but of this course, this is a movie the 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 sequel that never happened. Yes, and we it shows you in graphic, uh, visual, and detail that this ain't your you know your grandpa's PG thirteen movie because uh, Julio was. Very surprised to find out it was only PG thirteen after right. a scene of full fornication in the bathroom. Yeah, that is a. It it will not be the the last instance of a, what I would call grief fucking in this movie, <laughs> but I, I think it might be the most uh, passionate. Maybe mm -hmm. you know, uh, just like raw. They and, don't even take their clothes off. No, and it just happens so quick. Jennifer Garner can't even react to it. Right, uh, and this random woman that Timothy Oliphant bags. Uh, exits, writes her phone number on his hand and says, call me. As soon as she leaves the room, he wipes his hand on his jacket and looks in the mirror as he washes his hands and we get a, a moment of introspection where he's like, man, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> but it's true. And, and, you know, you may think that that 
right off the bat, you don't like this Timothy Oliphant character because it just seems disrespectful. And I think the movie goes out of its way as it goes on to really prove that, well, he's just, he's grieving in his own way. Yeah. But but also, I think that's just where the casting helps you because it's hard to hate Timothy Oliphant. Very. And Timothy Oliphant, at the peak of his sex appeal in this movie, with delicious hair and just the the devil may care grin and he's just five o'clock shadow yeah he's he's just hitting all the buttons there Mm -hmm. so even after uh jennifer garner comes out of the tub and just looks at him even she can't bring herself to be too mad about it right she just kind of walks away she expects it of him right which and and i love the woman he's like how could she resist exactly elephant uh gray comes to find out that Grady, her fiance, made a lot more money than she was aware of. And um, what is it that something to do with his tax returns and just money going in accounts? Right. Yeah. He's he's getting a return on an amount of money that it's insane. Yeah. And, uh, and she never knew about it. Yeah. And so red flags raised there. Uh, there's been they find that there's been three thousand dollars taken out every month that's been going to an account that she's not aware of uh, with. The funeral scene, we are introduced to uh, Grady's best friends, who he lived with, I believe, uh, being Sam and Dennis, played by, as we had mentioned, Kevin Smith, and then uh, Sam Yeager, who Who's really you allege is in A Few Good Men. I think so. Well, he's in Parenthood. I think anybody that, not the movie, the, the TV show, mm-hmm. he's uh, uh, Erica Christensen's husband. Really? Yeah. In Parenthood, not in real life. He is not in... A few good men. He so. might be uncredited. I'm pretty sure I, I remember him. Unless he, I'm thinking of Scott Speedsman. <laughs> He's from the West Speedman. Wing. No. Let's see. Well, he is not Scott Speedman. That's the whole point, though. Yes, exactly. Because you can. He's an American he, sniper. Uh, no, that's Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I know he has a beard there, but. Uh, but Dennis and Sam are doing coping in their own ways, but a lot of it is helping Gray kind of acclimate to staying with them and making sure that she's okay. But, you know, they don't seem to have answers for the questions that she has. No. Uh, their ways of grieving, by the way, is uh, Kevin Smith overeats, overdrinks, overmedicates, and uh, and Sam Yeager just uh, pines after Jennifer Garner. The yes, the questions about the money being transferred are heightened when there's a hidden cell phone in Grady's room that Gray comes across. Uh, there's ten messages, um, and basically just calls that continue incoming. This is where we find out that he was a bit closer and a bit more open with Fritz than with Sam and Dennis because Fritz knows, you know, what's going on. Well, wouldn't you be more open with Timothy Oliphant? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know that it, it's it's tempting. Your first your first thought is. I would just share everything with Kevin Smith because he's he's just like the guy next door. That may door. be your first thought. Right. But then your second thought is, man, he, he wouldn't be able to keep a secret. No. He'd just podcast about it <laughs> the next day. But Oliphant, he seems like a private guy. Oh, yeah. A guy that if if Jennifer Garner hadn't caught him having sex with that, with that girl, mm-hmm. nobody would ever have known. No. He, he knows how to keep things private. And he has his own private place down in Malibu and... You know, just he, him and his dog. Yeah, he's a he's an introverted guy. He keeps to himself. Nothing wrong with that. But he knows what the issue is and what the situation is, and that is, um, Grady had a baby mama uh, out in California 
who all this money, this $3,000 per month was going out to her uh, to, in essence, pay for child support with their child they had together. Now, if you're uh, if you're like Alex and you have a good ear for for voices, even if they're kind of distorted by a voicemail, then you right away perk up when you hear the voicemail uh, yeah. that this baby mama leaves in the Maureen. Uh, Maureen, uh, because right away he turned to me and he said, "Is Juliette Lewis in this movie?" <laughs> and the answer is yes, yes, she is. She uh, contrarian's favorite Juliette Lewis returns. Not quite yet. She hasn't shown back up as but of her yet. voice. But yes, but we know it's impending, and that is a good thing. Why would you just get Juliette Lewis to do a voicemail? Now oh. you know that she's coming. There's no, no way that she doesn't. This show isn't up. the happening when M Night Shyamalan does the voiceover on the phone call and doesn't show up. They're actually going to give you the real deal. Well, also, here. Shyamalan is no no Juliette Lewis as far as Star that Power. he is not. It's, it's the opposite effect. When Shyamalan leaves a voicemail, then you're like, please do not show up. <laughs> it's like a threat. Exactly. Now I just want a movie with M. Night Shyamalan and Juliette Lewis so we can decide who has the, the greater screen presence once and for all to end this age-old debate. <laughs> this five-minute-old debate. <laughs> just Fritz agrees that he'll take care of everything since he knows the situation, uh, explains that it was a one-time thing with this woman and the child is its a boy that's eight years old, but he'll make sure the money gets where it needs to go so you know it's not something Gray has to deal with on top of everything that she's going through. Uh, speaking of things that she's going through, she meets with Grady's mom, who wants the wedding ring back. And this this scene was cold blooded. <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Uh, and this lady, I think it's to the movie's credit that she gets some sort of redemption arc, and you don't hate her by yes, the end of the movie because it, it's really easy to hate her there in the beginning. Yeah, uh, but it it goes to show again. This is all about grief and how well Timothy Oliphant is banging some girl in the bathroom. Kevin Smith is making himself like 10 waffles every night. Mm-hmm. And this woman just wants the engagement ring back because wants that's to keep how she it in the family. Yeah. And she's, yeah. Uh, Jennifer Garner has some line about it was a symbol of our vow to spend the rest of our lives together. And the mom's like, well, you didn't. And she says, well, he spent the rest of his life with me. It's just like, God damn, it, it got catty quick. Yep. And she didn't miss a beat. No. Uh, Fritz and Gray are starting to spend more time around each other, you know, just based on circumstance alone. And it seems to be some sort of budding relationship there. At this point, you know, we there's not enough to know if it's just out of grief or what's going on. Well, it's it's how can you not uh, two beautiful people spending exactly, time with each other. and especially Oliphant, he's just charged with sexuality. Every time he enters a room, every time he he comes into a scene, you can just feel everybody's hair standing up, and they don't know why. <laughs> It's like Heath Ledger is the Joker. Every time he's on screen, you, you don't know it. You, you don't blink. Yeah, you, he might start humping something. So, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, his scenes with Jennifer Garner are, are pretty pretty awesome in the way that they just walk that tightrope of mm-hmm. we're both grieving someone that we cared about, but clearly we're hot for each other. Uh, this all leads to the Kevin Smith Oscar sequence. It's not just a scene; it's a, it's an entire sequence where. Toward the force, as they call them. Uh, essentially, he tries to kill himself by taking a bunch of sleeping pills and washing it down with vodka, it looked like. And he's, they're having a hard time waking him. Dennis, that is, tries to carry him, a, uh, presumably to the bathroom, perhaps to purge or something of that nature. And then Dennis, being the fucking wet blanket that he is in this movie, <laughs> drops him and lets him <laughs> hit his head on the kitchen counter really hard and knocks him out. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh... And then he he's at the hospital and he delivers a powerful Oscar clip speech. He wakes up uh, at the hospital in the in the hospital bed and yeah, this is um 
um, one of the finer moments of acting in this film. This is his, uh, I could have been a contender. You know, he's exactly. Like, I, I could have stopped this. He, yes. He's like, I should have just told him to stop, uh, to stop, I don't know, extreme sporting, whatever he does. This is Michael Fassbender in shame when he realizes he has no shame. Yes. This is. Uh, there are tears. The, yes. <laughs> and it, he wakes up to Jennifer Garner by his side. And yeah, he's ridden with guilt over um, Grady's death and, uh, he just misses him. He misses his friend. Yeah, he's. Uh, I, I think you don't really see much of, of Kevin Smith in his own movies. I mean, you see him because he plays this character, but he's always in the background. Even when, a lot of times, silent. Right. Yeah. You know, as if that was a defining characteristic. Of but uh, you don't really get to see him emote, right? Like mm-hmm. be a real person, and so it makes it even more. Uh, shocking when this happens and and then you realize this is you know with great power comes great responsibility there's a reason why you don't see kevin smith cry very often Mm -hmm. that's because his his tears i think are a powerful weapon that must be wielded terrence howard he is not it's Uh, it's not (laughs) (laughs) he could be but he chooses not to exactly (laughs) former guest of the podcast eddie i think it was eddie one of my favorite lines he ever had about terrence howard was in prisoners how Terrence Howard didn't have a dry eye at any scene in that entire movie. <laughs> yeah, that's why he. That's why they kicked him out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like War Machine does not cry. <laughs> I don't know, uh, man. Um, Blonde Juliet Lewis shows up, and she's quite a looker. Uh, a bit different than the Juliet Lewis we saw in Natural Born Killers, but um, uh, was she a blonde in uh, Mixed Nuts? I don't remember. I don't believe so. I think she had black hair in that movie. Brown, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that movie the other day, just Adam Sandler's <laughs> Turkey Lurkey. <laughs> Look at what this podcast has done to you. <laughs> I know. All the movies we've watched. Um, but she does have the alleged son with her. Um, I didn't even get the kid's name. Do they ever say it? I, mean, I believe they do. I think he befriends Kevin Smith. Right. Something I have on my notes is that something that this movie gets very accurately is the immense pressure that adults put on kids. Mm-hmm. Because this kid, it's basically from the moment he shows up and is acknowledged by everybody as as Maddie, 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 as as greatest son. Then suddenly everybody kind of expects him to live up to this sort of. Uh, legacy mm-hmm. of her dad. So Kevin Smith gives him the guy's hat. And uh, and the Juliet Lewis's approach to it is the one that's very relatable, having lived in Austin as long as I have, of just let the kid do what they want. You know, they'll discipline themselves. Um, that's how they develop a personality. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the most glaring issue of all this is that this kid is clearly not eight. Right. It's a four-year-old, meaning that this no, child... No, no, no. Is about to be four, excuse right, me. Right, yeah. So it would have been conceived during Jennifer Garner and Grady's relationship, which is the hardest part of it for her to take. So because of this, after she had been lied to by Fritz, she goes down uh, to the bait and tackle shop to find him because you know she's going to give him a piece of her mind. But uh, she goes down all right. Yeah, <laughs> She melts like a stick of butter in the microwave who wouldn't though exactly i mean oliphant gives her this moldering eyes well it's a passionate moment she tries to hit him with the right and he blocks that so she goes with the left and he blocks that and then then what else what else can these two do right they're they're 
inches away from each other. Mm -hmm. He's holding both her hands. Mm -hmm. The logical progression for that is not an apology or an explanation, but rather a full-on make-out session. And that they do. Well, it doesn't get too graphic. They share a passionate kiss and a tender embrace, but they separate both in a, as alcoholics refer to it, a moment of clarity. Yeah, which, you know, I there's something else that the movie gets right. Because I think I could totally read Oliphant's thoughts there, uh, where he's having, obviously, the, the the regret of, wow, why did I let this happen? But also, you know that he's thinking, I shouldn't have stopped. I should have just gone all the way through and then have the regret. Yeah. It, like, not, the worst part is stopping mid-bad decision. Mm-hmm. If you're making a bad decision, just follow through, commit to it, and then deal with the repercussions uh, but as it is, they got all the bad feelings of regret, and they didn't really get like much of a pleasure. Uh, there's just there. there's so many emotions going on right now. It's a it's a tough time. You can't. I mean, that's why you need Jennifer Garner or Timothy Oliphant doing that. Mm-hmm. That's why you spend your hard earned budget on on casting twenty five million of this film. Yep. <laughs> twenty to Jennifer Garner, five to Timothy Oliphant. And Kevin Smith was just granted. He, he was there for the it, like they let him keep the waffles and sandwiches. <laughs> um, Juliet Lewis, <laughs> like you can just hang out. <laughs> Juliet Lewis is uh, speaking of hanging out. She's just starting to spend more time around the house with Sam and Dennis, and um, sh- we find out that she's a bit of a hippie, believes in auras, and you know all kinds of all natural, uh, organic foods, things of that nature. She offers to uh, make a dinner for. The group, which she does, which segues to what you proclaim to be Jennifer Garner's Oscar scene. Yes. Uh, they have a candlelit dinner outside the house. Um, it's a, it's nicely presented and nicely shot, and it, I think is a nice blend of all the different characters' uh, yeah, and, and, flaws uh, and strengths. Right. And even, even before she got to the speech, which is magnificent, but even before she got there, there was this – that's when I realized that I, I really – I wanted to grieve with these people. I it, I think it's really hard to make a movie about grieving that's not utterly depressing. Mm. Or if you go the other way, that's just completely ridiculous. But this one, it was just... There are movies that are hangout movies, and I think this is like your hangout movie for your next funeral. You just put this in, and and now you have Jennifer Garner, Oliphant, Kevin Smith. Jennifer Garner has a movie for every occasion that's or emotion. True. Yeah. Can't get pregnant, Juno. Oh. You want to be a superhero, Electra. Yeah. Regret, Daredevil. <laughs> but through this, while she's watching Maddie and Maureen interact and just soaking in the entire um, aura, so to speak, of this dinner, she takes it upon herself to just go on a long-winded uh, confessional of things about her that Grady never knew. I think she... Looks at the child and sees that you know. Well, he kept this from me, and so now I'm going to make it obvious what I kept from him. It's it's so uh, uh, empowering, empowering, but also just so charmingly PG thirteen. Her confessions are very. Uh, I mean, I think that's what makes it endearing. That's what makes it work uh, because it could have gone horribly wrong if the confessions were just a little too hardcore. Uh-huh. But instead, her confessions are. I like to steal library books. I made out with, I, a, girl. I made out with a girl once. Uh, and even that, that. All that sense. does is raise the ire of Kevin Smith. Right. <laughs> Kevin Smith really gets uh, interested there. Uh, what I think the worst thing she says is that she likes uh, natural disasters. 
Yeah, and she hopes people die in them. Right, which is, I mean, dark, but also, I mean, that's fine. She hasn't killed anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, her, her, her confessional is... I ran over a man in Dearborn, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's alive or dead. I just kept driving. But it's but you know what I what I mean right like it's such a pleasant sequence and and the entire movie has that that feeling of just friendship and and support community it really makes you just kind of eager for when the next funeral is gonna be when's the next wake so I can Jesus. just chill out with my buddies like this it does it, there's definitely a sense of ease for starting so hot and heavy in terms of uh, darkness and. Um, the possible exploration of uh, broken people's coping me- mechanisms really just turns into like Empire Records, or it's just like really? fun. And I want to hang out with these people. Even better than, than Empire Records because they just stop going to work. <laughs> yes, that's very true. And Kevin Smith is eating waffles. Uh, there's a lot of money on the line, a lot of residuals here for Juliette Lewis's character Maureen and uh, her son Maddie. Uh, basically, shit ton of alimony and child payments at, at a lifetime's worth. It could be. And so because of that, um, Grady, Grady's mother is not going to budge without a paternity test first. Yeah, if, if you thought that uh, she was satisfied with how hateable she was after <laughs> trying to get the engagement ring back, no, she she has more in her arsenal. Ebenezer Scrooge in the first act looks <laughs> at this woman and goes, God damn. Um, so... Through this, going to the hospital, uh, we do see a budding relationship between uh, Maureen and Maddie, but with uh, Sam, Kevin Smith's character. He's kind of there to keep Maddie calm through all this because he is just a giant child himself. He's Kevin Smith. He's Kevin Smith. Um, And at no point did I get any sense of romance, but it looked like just Sam and Maureen may just be good for each other. Like Where their lives are out of whack, they help balance each other out. Well, I think is this is this like the massage, like or or that's where it leads to eventually. Yeah, where he takes a Marine and Maddie back to their motel they're staying at in town in Boulder there, and she offers to give him a massage. And this was played up for laughs, like she thinks she knows what she's doing, but she clearly doesn't. But as I was watching it, I I got the sense that this was basically. That that is the closest we're gonna get to a Juliette Lewis slash Kevin Smith sex scene in this movie or Yet. anywhere else. <laughs> but, th- but you know what I mean? Like that's because it's PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. They had to once again adjust it. And and there's that detail about how uh, Juliette Lewis never curses. Yes, because so, of her child. I I like how they took the PG thirteen rating and just played it to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here is the same thing. Whereas. An R-rated movie maybe would have gone uh, a more graphic route with the with the relationship between Kevin Smith and Juliette Lewis. This one makes it a little more playful. Instead, she's just kind of beating up his body, <laughs> and then eventually, kind of like accidentally, sort of slides her hand yeah. down to his genitals. I guess his reaction is pretty pretty good. And then they just basically both sober up at the same moment and talk about. She basically confesses that she has no idea what she's doing as a mother and thinks she's a bad mom. And Kevin Smith is like, no. He's like, I don't know what... You just grab my dick. You're a great mom. Yeah. I don't know what being a parent is like, but I assume you're doing okay. Um, <laughs> as a man-child, I approve. <laughs> um, we all go to the beach. Uh, we go to a, a river or a lake in Boulder. It's the entire gang. Everyone's there. Um Maddie and Sam pair off to go fishing. 
Dennis is kind of off on his own, but he comes across Gray, who's reading a book. And quickly and in no uncertain terms, he admits that he's always been in love with her. And you just kind of breathe that sigh of relief because we could tell from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. we're just glad that it's out in the open. And now we're like, now get ready for to be friend zoned because by now <laughs> she is she is pretty much carrying a secret affair with Oliphant. Yeah. And she says she loves him too, you know, but clearly in that tone as a friend uh, and encourages him to continue seeing Persephone. Uh, which is just a fantastic name. and But it is a crushing scene of defeat for Dennis. I, I guess that is. And everybody gets an Oscar clip in this movie, and that's probably uh, Sam Yeager's one. Mm-hmm. Because he he's pretty earnest. At first, he's trying to avoid the question when she's trying to you know, just bring it out of him. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's going on with you? Who do you like? And then... Uh, you know the kind of things that you ask people when they're grieving, and then and then he then he confesses his love, and then he switches gears into just trying to play it off as oh no I was just kidding yeah it, it, so he he goes through a whole range of emotions, uh, and and pulls it off. He might be the smallest star like as far as star power. He's probably the the he's at the lower end of the spectrum, right? He was the guy that was starstruck and on set, but. I, I think that he pulls it off. He he does well. Mm-hmm. He uh, doesn't get the girl, but still. Well, he does go back out with Persephone. Uh, they come back to the the house to have a nightcap. Um, but this I I didn't catch. So she had called in the day, and then who left this note? That was Kevin Smith. Oh, okay. Because she sees a note on the kitchen counter and gets mad and storms out. Um, the effect of the note is that she's not pretty. She's not funny, but maybe she'll blow you. Yeah. That. Uh, yeah, kind of out of tone of everything else that's happened so far, especially with Kevin Smith trying to have this budding relationship with a single mother and child. Right, but but to be fair, I think he wrote that note much earlier in the movie before. Oh, okay. The but, kid was, and I was about to say, still, it is. It was three dudes living in one house. Right. Three, but yeah, old habits die hard. That's very true, especially Kevin Smith. Like I said, he was just playing himself here. I told Julio watching it that. There was no wardrobe for him. He just showed up with, you know, what he was wearing and they said, All right, get to work. So he could have just written this note, you know, in between takes as a joke, and they're like, Yeah, fuck it, we'll use it. There's uh there's one day he showed up with Jay Muse and they're like, No, okay, we have to draw the line here. <laughs> no, friends only. Um <laughs> So Persephone, of course, takes this as any rational human being would is insulting, throws the notepad at Dennis, storms out. Leaving Dennis to drink a full bottle of wine by himself in the dark, which you know is n- not a good start to an evening, much less a good end to an evening. Uh, and to top it all off, he breaks the bottle of wine, and as he's picking it up, sees Timothy Oliphant and Jennifer Garner come in holding hands, and this his world crashes around him. Yeah, um, have they had sex by now? Or this is this is when they have sex. I do believe this is the sex montage. Okay, this is a. <laughs> Yeah, it just keeps fading. Yeah, very of, very of artsy. It might be the artsiest, uh, sweetest love making scene we've had that we've featured in it's, the show. It's very tender. It's it's just there's no libido there. It's just two people that just... every shot of it is like the cover of a romance novel. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tim Robbins in the player. This is not. Oh God, <laughs> I had forgotten about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> no close-ups, no sweat. No. They're not even making noise. It's just like some sweet guitar playing in the background. Yeah, it, it, but it works. It's not mortifying like Tim Robbins in The Player. Uh, Grady's mom is at the local market. Uh, she comes across Maureen and Maddie. Uh, she recognizes uh, the hat Maddie's wearing as it was Grady's. Um, Kevin Smith bestowed right. it, bequeathed it uh, to the, the young lad. When he was uh, teaching him how to, how to fish. fish. So she comes up and just doesn't really introduce herself, but has a brief interaction with them, you know, just trying to, I think, get a feel for the situation. I think this is where we see uh, her heart start to shine through because she still may be unsure if it really is uh, her grandson or not, but I think she's warming up to the possibility. Uh, as soon as he she sees the hat on him, basically, it just uh, goes back to what I was saying that adults can put an insane amount of pressure on kids. Mm-hmm. The kid has no idea that he has all these expectations placed on him from everybody, uh, including now this lady who sees him basically as her son reborn. Yeah. Uh, we follow this up with a Benny Hill sequence back at the house where Sam and Dennis get into a fight. Um, I think Sam just sees that Dennis is hurting and they're trying to talk, but um, they're both just have their own frustrations with one another. And it just leads to a, a quarrel in which nothing's really resolved. Well, I mean, it's a little it, bit it, like the It adds some levity to the movie, though. Which you need at this point. You do need to catch your breath here. And then Timothy Oliphant steps out of his room. Cool as a cucumber. Yeah, dude, he just, like, shames them with a look of cool here. Just, like, grow up. You need to be as hot as I am. Dennis confronts uh, Gray about her affair with um, Fritz, to which she tries to play off, as most would in a situation like that, and she says, oh, that's nothing. It's less than nothing. Little does she know, waiting outside the door with two cups of coffee is Timothy Oliphant, who hears the whole thing unfold, uh... He confronts her as she goes to a storage unit in town there. I believe she's trying to locate a picture of Grady for his funeral. Um, Michelle also comes across her wedding dress there, and she wants to try it on as she was never able to wear it. Uh, But this is where we get uh, a much different version of Fritz as... This is the elephant Oscar clip. uh, Yeah, he, like... This is evil Oliphant. (laughs) He is a man who is clearly snapped. (laughs) <laughs> he's like he's get, he's like a week away from uh gunning for bruce willis and, and die hard yeah and, and you know he has this like evil smile on his face and is looking at her sideways the entire time and it's genuinely uncomfortable yeah he just keeps she keeps trying to apologize and explain that it was just she was just saying stuff and he he just brutal thing after brutal thing and a tone of fear as well because you know you're given the impression in public usually you're going to be safe but here in the storage unit he could just shut the gate on her and leave her in there i i I don't know my heart was racing during this because i didn't know what was going to happen yeah but i also thought it was pretty genius that they flipped the the trope because usually in romantic comedies what you see is you have the girl listen to the guy Uh deny the relationship downplay it and here it was oliphant and even when he's playing the villain, you can see the heartbreak oh, behind yeah. his eyes. The reason he snapped is because he's a man in love. Right. Lo- love drives men to do desperate things, and desperate times call for desperate measures. It, it cuts both ways. Yes. He can be beautiful and awesome bringing two coffees to the house, or he can be a, a total Disney villain. As I've always said, Timothy Oliphant is the double-edged sword of Hollywood. <laughs> 
so we leave things in a place we don't want to, but uh, Fritz says he's going back to Malibu, and that's that. We come back to the house and find out that, sure enough, Maddie is not um, Grady's kid. Uh, this was at a hearing with, uh, I believe, an attorney. Uh, she gives the news to Gray and, uh, of course, Grady's mother, and the news is broken to Juliet Lewis, Maureen, back at the house. And she, she rolls with the punches. It doesn't like, take her long to r- realize who the de- the father is. It's and, like, oh, well, it wasn't him, so it must be the other guy. Yeah, and she doesn't seem too sorry about taking all that money for you know years upon years. Um, but like you said, she rolls with the punches and kind of right there and on the spot uh, lays out the forecast of what her life's going to look like to support her son. Yeah, I I really the the movie doesn't make a point of it. It doesn't shine the spotlight on it but it's there this idea that women are so much more resilient than men uh and you see it it's not an idea that's a proven <laughs> fact yeah but but you know i think that uh a lot of people just wouldn't know it and it would react negatively like a guy mm-hmm. if you just said that straight up yeah. they would recoil no yeah. but then when you see it in this movie where it just weaves it in with with the romance and whatever that it just, I think, subconsciously, it just feeds that that idea into their heads. And here you see Juliette Lewis, like, be bummed about this for maybe five seconds. Yeah. And then she's like, "Well, I guess I have to quit school and just go back to work. Mm-hmm. It'll be okay." You see Jennifer Garner realize, okay, well, he cheated on me and he had a kid with someone else, but I guess life goes on. Yeah. Go fuck Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> In the meantime, Kevin Smith almost kills himself, and he yeah. wasn't even engaged to the guy. And also, yeah, exactly. He he just needed someone to play PlayStation with. <laughs> yeah. Um, but through that, also the resilience of women. Also, there's the uh, overlying tone here at the end that women band together. Um, Jennifer Garner realizes, you know, yeah, he cheated on me and had this kid, but you know, he loved me, and he clearly loved this kid because he went through all this hard work to, you know, help pay for the child's development and, you know, his childhood. And so she still wants to give that money to Maureen and uh, Maddie because as off kilter as the Maureen character appears to be um, and the methods of raising the child may be questionable. There's not a question of neglect or abuse or anything like that. She clearly cares, cares for the child. Right. At least she's, she's with him the entire time. And that's, Uh, that counts for something. So this is a point of contention with um, Gray and Grady's mother. Um, and this is where, you know, uh, Jennifer Garner plays her last ice cold card of the film where she plays a Chekhov's engagement ring. Yes. And she tells Grady's mother, yeah, if you're not going to give her that money, I will because I can sell this. And it's the ring. And it's just like, God damn. <laughs> Check and mate. <laughs> Part and in a way, it's like when Martin Sheen was thrown off the building in The Departed, because you, you you know some serious shits about to go down. Um, we conclude in a sense with Grady's funeral. Um, everyone we've met throughout the film is there. Uh, Gray gives her speech about uh, her fallen fiance. She talk her voiceover, and I guess it's kind of like a letter to Grady, wherever he may be in the afterlife, is. You know, I didn't tell him about the bad things. I told him about the good things because that's what people want to hear about, which is noble. Yeah. And it takes I, a lot of strength to do that. And it's also a very, very acute observation mm-hmm. about people and funerals. Yeah. 
You don't want to be extra bummed. No. <laughs> You're already sad enough that somebody passed away. You don't need the bad stories on top of that. Uh, but Grady's mother does, you know, concede, uh, not concede, but basically shares the view of Gray and that, you know, he would have wanted this kid. He went to the grave thinking it was his, and there's no reason to kind of change that. So she does give Maureen the money that, uh, was in question for helping raise the child and moving forward. And in the sense vindicates her character for, well, also she just lets Jennifer Garner keep the ring. That's right. Because that was Jennifer Garner was going to give her the ring back. So full vindication. Right. She she just if you want to be cynical, she just played she realized that it was really bad karma at this point and so mm-hmm. she just plays the whole like, "Oh, I never really wanted the ring anyway." Yeah. Uh card, but either way, you feel for her, especially cuz she shows up at the funeral, hands Juliet Lewis a check, yeah. and they have a heart to heart. Yeah. And that puts Grady to rest. And more ways than one. And the movie concludes with Jennifer Garner packing up everything in Boulder. I think everything uh, she knew there is her, the chapter of her life there is concluded. And so she packs up and heads down to Malibu with the intent of uh, finding Timothy Oliphant. And fortunately, she knows where he lives. <laughs> she just, uh, she just followed the, the pheromones. <laughs> 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 she just, Told her phone, <laughs> Timothy Oliphant <laughs> took her right there. Alexa, <laughs> where is the Timothy <laughs> Oliphant? <laughs> uh, she's not the only. Everybody grows up at the end of the movie. That's mm-hmm. what what's kind of uh, inspirational is that through this grieving process, they all come out uh, more mature. So Sam Yeager moves out. He and- realizes he can't keep bringing girls mm-hmm. over to a place where Kevin Smith is going to be Kevin Smith. <laughs> And Maureen and Maddie move in, in a sense, this will give uh, Maureen some assistance with the child with Kevin Smith, but this will also help Kevin Smith grow up. So well, It'll give Maddie an older brother. Yes. And- Someone to look after him and play lightsaber battles with. <laughs> yeah. But it it's what's best for everyone moving forward. Yeah. It's a, it's a happy ending, born out of tragedy. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's for the best that Grady died. <laughs> This could just all be destiny working out in a very odd way. Yeah. Because in the end, we get to see Jennifer Garner and Timothy Oliphant kissing on a beach. And I mean, what more could you want from a you film? Could, you couldn't get any happier, a happier ending than that. No. Therefore, Grady's death was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a necessary evil. Yeah. And uh, the, the last shot in the director's cut is uh, Grady getting his wings. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. I'm not a good actor, you know, because I can't take the words as written and fucking same and have them sound real. They sound stilted and fake coming out of my mouth. So I just change it up and just put it in my own parlance, if you will, my own um, patois. And uh, it sounds a little more believable and shit, but that's not true acting. You know, like I, when I was doing Catch and Release, Tim Oliphant would make fun of me for doing that all the time. Tim Oliphantastic, as we call him. Um... <laughs> He would just fucking berate me all the time. I liked Tim. Tim was a good cat, but he's a very odd guy. I had a real weird relationship with him. Because I liked him in Go, and I liked him in a couple of shit. There's a couple of movies I saw him, and I thought he was kind of pimp and shit. And uh, we met, I met him on the set, and we got along really well and shit. But every once in a while, he would just, like, take these shots at me and shit, where I was like, what am I, fucking sophomore year, and you're the fucking jock, and I'm the fucking fat dude in school, and, like, you're going to use me as a target when other people are around, but when nobody's around, we're friends. 
which is kind of revealing about my childhood the more I think about it. All right. Real talk for catch and release. All right. Catch and release was released. Oh, this makes sense. It was a January movie, January 26, 2007. Uh, as I mentioned when we were watching it, though, premiered at the 2006 Austin Film Festival. Bit of an interesting movie to premiere at AFF. Uh, written and directed by Susanna Grant, as I mentioned, her previous claims to fame uh, involving Aaron Brockovich and Party of Five. Uh, this movie had a budget of $25 million for a box office return of around $16 million. So did not do good, particularly, you know, that's more money than I have, but comparatively speaking, did not do too well at the box office, uh, nor did it in the papers or with the critics as it was at a meager 21%. January release, I mean, generally, it was, it was probably competing against the real Scott Speedman in mm. uh, Underworld. Scott Speedman's in Underworld? Yeah. Okay, that's, yeah, I've never seen that. Hence my Underworld joke earlier. <laughs> while <laughs> yeah, we I was like, what is he talking about? The only person from Underworld I know is Kate Beckinsale, so. Yeah, uh, I think he's in the first one or maybe the first two. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's... Some people liked it, Alex. Some people. Well, let's hear it. Uh, Eric Lurio from Greenwich Village Gazette. Much, much better than it has any right to be. Mm. Uh Mm-hmm. I mean, what were your expectations, Eric? Exactly. Yeah, I guess that uh, depends on uh, Mike. <laughs> that depends on your definition of the word "be." <laughs> depends on how many funerals have you gone to. Uh, Mike McGranahan from Isle Seat says the movie takes subject matter that seems depressing and infuses it with humor and warmth. Mm. Uh, Fred Topple. Tries. <laughs> Fred Topple from Can Magazine says, "If anyone could make death a delight, it's Jennifer Garner." <laughs> that's a good review he's, he's on the Garner bandwagon I'm right um, there with you buddy MK Terrell from Christian Science Monitor says doesn't matter because Grady is with God now I'm oh, kidding no. okay. <laughs> I was going to say no thank you Alex's horrified face yeah. was the best review uh, no they say viewers may find its mix of pathos and humor loose and lumpy, but then isn't that how life is? And then Andrea Grumval from the Chicago Reader says Jennifer Garner may possess the hardest working eyebrows in show business, but Kevin Smith gets the acting kudos in this bittersweet romance. For one, that's Michael Keaton. That's eyebrow acting one on one. Maybe female oh, okay. eyebrows. That's right. Um, Plucked eyebrows. Nicely manicured. Uh, yeah, Kevin Smith was good in this. Uh, this is one of those movies we watched for the first half of it. I was like, this is fine. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. And then the second half happened, and I was like, man, this movie sucks. So, <laughs> well, there's, I have one more quote. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't well, mean to I wanted, I wanted derail to, the train there. Well, it was, it was it's a Kevin Smith twofer. Because then Stephen Witte from Newark Star-Ledger says, every time Kevin Smith comes on screen, he perks things up a little. He makes the time pass faster, and the flaws recede. He turns what might be a forgettable movie into a halfway decent one. I really, really like Jennifer Garner, and I think she's good. And like, I tweeted when we were watching this, she's one of my favorite actresses that doesn't have a movie that I really like, uh, which I think is weird, but also... Are you talking about Jennifer Garner vehicles, or just any movie that she might Any movie. I like The Invention of Lying, and um, yeah. 
about the McConaughey uh, AIDS oh, movie. Oh, Dallas Buyers Club. I, there you go. I knew there was something because she was nominated for that. Was she? I'm pretty sure. I oh, knew there was something I was missing out on. But yeah, that while not as – I didn't think it was as amazing the second time as the first time. It's still really good. She's really good. But yeah, she's – um. I really think she's super talented just for whatever reason. No one ever figured out how to hone in on what she I mean, J.J. Abrams had her for five seasons. Yeah, and, but... And TV. I mean, to me, she's never had that performance I think she's capable of, which is, you know, I just am a podcaster, so... <laughs> and she <laughs> sleeps every night on a giant pile of money, so I think she's doing all right. But um, Jennifer, if you're listening... Please. I, I got some advice for you. Jennifer, baby. <laughs> um, hold on now. I'm trying to see if I was right in my... Your assessment of her career? That's, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, doesn't look like she was nominated for uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Don't know what I was thinking. Uh, she was. She did get a Screen Actors Guild nomination for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture for Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, she's great. This movie is not. Um, I... I didn't watch this movie, even though it, this you would call a Jennifer Garner vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I watched it when it first came out, uh, I watched it for Kevin Smith. <laughs> it was, he is really good. And it was a novelty of, oh, Kevin Smith is in a movie that he didn't write or direct playing an actual character. Let's see what that's like. Oh, it's like Kevin Smith. <laughs> it's like listening to any interview with Kevin Smith. Well, back then, it was more of a rarity. You know, back then, that's he true. was... He was not as in your face as he is now. Right. Um, not kidding. When we said the first half... Or, I'm sorry, from my perspective, the scene of him in the hospital bed is the best scene in the movie. I think it's definitely up there. I don't know. I, I like Oliphant's uh, turn into a villain in that one scene. I think oh, it's, dude, so bad. I, th- I mean, I think it's... I really... I was not kidding Contrarian's Corner. I like how they they flipped that trope. He, yeah. Because it is always the girl that hears always, like the guy bragging or some shit. Yeah, and here he's, and especially because he's the cool guy, and and, then and he just snaps. He just snaps. It's like he's never watched a romantic comedy in his life. <laughs> he doesn't know that <laughs> clearly. She was not serious. Um, which is what makes the ending weird. I think. Oh yeah, the ending. I can't believe we even mentioned that the last line of the movie is him getting the total girl in a romantic comedy line. What took you what so took long? You so long. <laughs> Good lord! But I think that's great that they give him that line, and mm-hmm. that he has that that whole thing at the end. You know, it's. Um, I think its main problem is that it's really long. It feels really long. It does for and, what you have, and for the subject matter, you can definitely. I think more people should attempt to make movies with similar stories to this because you definitely can. But this tries to make it way too lighthearted and whimsical, and it's like. Like, in reality, that's a very realistic possibility of something that could happen with someone grieving or two people grieving for something like that. Um, But then, like, the follow-up to it all and everything, and, you know, most of the time, conventional wisdom would say it's not going to have a fairy tale ending on the beach like that. So, But, again, it's a movie, so... Yeah, it's... I agree that it would probably be better if they just stuck to the the more melancholy tone Mm -hmm. of the beginning. Yeah. And and yeah, that doesn't have to end with them hooking up at the very end and you know, it could just end with him saying goodbye and And they helped each other get through like a exactly, tough time. Exactly. Yeah. And uh I think that maybe this also has to do with it that there's 
there is a story, obviously, and there are things happening, but sometimes the things that happen are just not very related to the story. Mm-hmm. It, it's just there's a, a a handful of setups. You know, it's like, oh, she is sleeping with Timothy Oliphant. She has the sexual tension with Timothy Oliphant. And then uh, the other guy has a crush on her. And Kevin Smith is grieving on his own way. But it's not like they all really tie together into a story that takes you from A to B to C mm-hmm. to D. It's more like you're in that house and things happen. And yeah. sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they overlap. And uh, I like the messiness of that. And I think one of the quotes I read mentioned that, oh, well, that's what life is like. Yeah. But... I think the downside to that is that once you go past maybe 90 minutes of that, it oh, really yeah. it really starts dragging. Yeah. Uh, because maybe you would be more forgiving of that final scene with, uh, with Oliphant if it came much sooner. Mm-hmm. But because your patience has been, tr- has been tried yeah. for so long, for an extra 20 minutes there. Uh, you could just – the Dennis character could be completely cut out of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Even though it's a valid character, right? The guy that's been pining for his buddy's – Mm-hmm. girlfriend for years and who feels that he's actually he has a valid i guess chance to move in right now make a move because his buddy was not the perfect guy he was actually yeah. cheating on her had a kid and all this stuff that's an interesting story but it doesn't really get very well developed in this movie which no. is why they probably should have just cut it out yeah um <laughs> and they kind of go out of their way in the beginning to show that Oliphant's a uh, the Fritz character is like, you know, needs to grow up and is just kind of a recluse and with him having sex with that girl at the funeral and then sleeping in Grady's bed. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of trimming you could do. Uh, I feel Juliette Lewis is kind of wasted in this movie. Uh, uh, the character did nothing for me and obviously she's awesome. So yeah, I, but I think that maybe she, the character works or, I mean, she worked for me. I don't think she's among the best parts of the movie or anything, but she maybe could have worked even less if it wasn't Juliette Lewis playing her. That's true. Her scene with Kevin Smith where they actually get real, mm-hmm. it's it's really good. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't have Juliette Lewis playing that character, uh, maybe that scene just doesn't work because you don't have anything else That's to fair. build up. But she, she actually has good chemistry with Kevin Smith. They they have like a dad... Yes, he has his big scene in the hospital, but mm-hmm. here where he he gets he doesn't get to cry or anything. He's just there to be kind of an adult and tell her, "Oh, it's going to be okay." And the he pulls rare it up. adult scene. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I think for my liking the story of the hit not being his kid was handled with a bit too much like, "Oh, that's the way the cookie crumbles" as opposed to <laughs> Like, what the fuck? He's giving you thousands and thousands of dollars and you're still here because you want more money, that type of thing. But obviously by that point in the movie, that it had already made up its mind. It wanted like a feel-good, warm cookie cutter ending. Right. I, I, it needed a happy ending, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. Like <laughs> which I, said, I love that his grieving mother, Grady's grieving mother, is the villain of the movie. <laughs> uh, I, I think that maybe the the ending, the happy ending, wouldn't, feel so off if it was shorter i think Mm -hmm. i'll i'll go back to length uh and plot management as it were uh, among an issue among the issues for this movie but i still i liked it better than you did uh even though i was hoping it was better but i remember watching it you know a long Mm -hmm. time ago and and it was mainly my my takeaway from that was that kevin smith 
outside of a Kevin Smith movie was not bad that he pulled it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so also, this was like his first foray into something that had nothing that he didn't have right okay. that I know of uh, okay. at least that that was he might have done like the contrarian's faithful will let us know if we're wrong. I'm sure, that. yeah. yeah. Uh, but then there's also uh, the other thing is that I think it mostly pulls off the the relationship between Oliphant and Jennifer Garner mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't make it the focus of the movie. It's not a romantic comedy about these two falling in love with each other or whatever. It's like, that's one of the things that happens. And then yeah. there's all this other stuff happening. And uh, like I said, I think that that works. And I remember that too. What I didn't remember is, like I said, how long it was, how long it feels. Yeah. It's only like two hours, but it definitely, it, it just feels because you don't have a story. No. So no, um, I can't stress enough how much I like Jennifer Garner and even just like her voiceovers in this. I'm just like, yes. But then, you know, when you stop to examine what's going on, it, it makes it a bit more difficult. Um, but we, you know, we laughed. Contrarian's Corner or Real Talk, we we praised Timothy Oliphant quite a bit. And, you know, for what this movie wants of him, aside from his <laughs> Harvey Dent audition in the storage <laughs> locker. Uh, Dude, that was so good. I, I We were going to have to disagree there. It was, yeah. It was just so good. It just tonally was kind of out of nowhere. I was like, why is he doing like a Jack Nicholson impression <laughs> right now? Uh, no, but yeah, I, certainly by no means was this a movie where I was consistently checking my watch or phone, as it were, in terms of, you know, when is this going to be over? You and I really weren't like, there were no audible, Ugh, Yeah, on. I don't think we, we groaned. There were, there were a couple of gasps. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe that she said that. <laughs> um. Fuck, what was it? There was one where... Oh, the line where the guy was like, if he wanted to kill himself, he would have. He could have just gotten a gun and ended it. It's not that hard to get a gun in America. <laughs> like, man, that was 12 years ago and still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's it's pretty impressive, uh, or maybe it isn't, I don't know, that this was her only movie, um, Susanna yeah. Grant. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I don't know. Is it that she just she had a taste of it and said, "Nope, I'm just gonna go back to writing." And I don't really, I've I've had this was the one story I wanted to tell, and that's mm-hmm. it. Or is it just that it didn't perform well, and therefore it made it difficult for her to become a full time director? Because yeah. I saw that she's still screenwriting. I mean, she. Yeah, I'm trying to look up right now uh, her most recent work. Uh, but yeah, that's something we've actually come across with some of our lower rated films. Um, I'm sure th- your first. Uh, your directorial debut, as it were, when you get hammered with like bad reviews after you've been in the industry, as long as you like, as long as in this case, Susanna has. I'm sure that's not a fun experience, but also, I love it. You just call her Susanna, uh, <laughs> Susanna, Kevin, Jennifer, Timothy. Yeah, I'll make the whole movie. gang's there. <laughs> um, but also, you can also see from a standpoint of, you know, if you. This is just something that applies to any job. You know, you have the same job and you like this part of it, and then you try one other thing. You're like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. So it's very maybe Kevin Smith working with her. She was just like, no, not dealing with actors again. Um, let's see. But yeah, it looks like um, she's still doing writing and producing. Oh, she wrote The Soloist in 2009. I have never seen it. That was not a good movie. I remember it got trashed by the critics. It was one of the more. Um, obvious 
award bait movies oh, yeah, I can I recall in recent history. I remember uh, Robert Downey Jr. running down the street crying, maybe, mm-hmm. in the trailer. I screened that movie. Uh, the Soloist had a budget of sixty million and a box office return of thirty-eight million. So, but yeah, it it was. Um, I believe Jamie Foxx's character had like, you know, a like PTSD, or... yeah. And which that's nothing to laugh at or joke at, but when you, when, a movie when is movies so when obvious it's, exploiting when it, the reason they're using it is to try to get you know acting and awards <laughs> and whatnot. Um. But yeah, by no means was this movie a waste of time, nor was it a waste of resources, because for the cast they have, like I said, I, the only complaint I have about that is just I I always want more Juliette Lewis. So, <laughs> um, But they used the people in here for their strengths. Jennifer Garner, sympathetic, emotional. Timothy Oliphant, uh, ladies' man, but you know, also um, cunning, charming. You got Kevin Smith just playing Kevin Smith. And then Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you, would you have replaced him with? An actor that would make that better? That, Sean that... William Scott. <laughs> oh my god! No. <laughs> no. Uh, I, like Jim, I said, Jim from The <laughs> Office. John Krasinski. Would he have been? This would have been, this would have been about two years too soon before <laughs> that brief period where he tried to do like I think he tried one romantic comedy. Is it the Leatherheads? With, uh, that wasn't a romantic comedy. That was okay. Um, no, License to Wed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. He could have done it. Uh, yeah, he could have. He could have just done. But he would have been like, he would have kept calling her Pam. But, you know, I think that with Krasinski, you would have been rooting for him. Here, here That's another ro- horrible romantic comedy did. You mean screen that together. Um, Something, Something Borrowed. borrowed. <laughs> With one of the more legendary Oscar <laughs> clips of all time with Kate Hudson. Yeah. Um, no, honestly, I I think this movie would have succeeded so much more if that Dennis character was cut out. Uh, you, you don't root for him. That's no. when he's opening up his heart and everything. Well, the problem with his, when he opens up is the movie's already um, developed this thing with Oliphant and Garner where they're both grieving and you can't really make much of it yet, but because you've already been as a viewer, you're can you've, you've experienced that and you're going along with that. Um, it almost seems like he's preying on her vulnerability when he opens up to her uh, after learning all this. Not that it, it, that's not what his intention actually is just basically as a viewer. No, but I think you're right because when she, everything that happens with elephant feels like it happens as an accident. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel planned at all. That but- is the story of Timothy Oliphant's <laughs> career. <laughs> he thought he thought Justified was a commercial for uh <laughs> Marlboro. <laughs> for Marlboro. Uh, <laughs> no, uh when when Dennis declares his love, he even admits that he's been smitten with her for years. Mm-hmm. So that automatically makes him kind of a mm-hmm. creepy character. It's even I, I I know that well he didn't act on it so he's not a bad guy. Well, but... and then like you said, you don't root for the character. Even with that, the next scene with uh, Persephone, like he buries the idea of being with her to Jennifer Garner, and then the next scene he's with her, so you don't really feel bad when he gets like outed by right. He, his... he didn't really care. Yeah, yeah. So, um. Yeah, I don't know if I would have replaced him with anybody per se. I'm trying to think of who would have been a, a hot name at that time. Orlando Bloom. Oh. 
yeah, you would root for him. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it is what it is, and for what we're trying to do with this little bridge here, uh, it definitely shows as an actor what Kevin Smith can bring to the table in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know if he's been if I've seen him in anything else that's not you know his movies. Um, you seen Southland Tales? Oh fuck that! Jesus, I <laughs> forgot that he was in it. Unrecognizable. He's uh, he's in uh, Live Free or Die Hard, also, right? Yes, I was gonna say I was gonna mention that because he's there with Timothy Oliphant. So I think that they together again, <laughs> again. <laughs> I don't think they share any scenes in uh, Live Free or Die Hard. No, um, but that's still that is amazing. There's a um, one of his specials, his his stand up specials that Kevin Smith does. He talks about. Oliphant and the experience of shooting Live Free or Die Hard and shooting Catch and Release and kind of like Oliphant being kind of a dick to him, mm-hmm. just treating him like he wasn't a real actor, which I mean, I guess he wasn't technically, yeah. but uh, that they would call him Oliphantastic. <laughs> that's, just... that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The only bit of trivia that I retained reading from this was that uh, Jennifer Garner found Kevin Smith's humor in between takes and stuff to be too dirty and childish. So like Ben, uh, Ben Affleck had to like stop hanging out with him after the movie. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Is, I wonder if they have now. That's an oversimplification of it, but yeah. And Ben Affleck's giant dragon tattoo. Have you seen that? No. He has like a full size back tattoo of a dragon. Since when? I don't know. Someone got like a picture, like a paparazzi picture of him on the beach somewhere and it looks horrendous. <laughs> But he's Batman. He can do whatever he, he wants. He can do whatever he wants, except hang out with Kevin Smith. Apparently, back in 2007, <laughs> uh, 2006. So that was part one of our little mini arc here with uh, Kevin Smith. That was Catch and Release. Uh, Chasing Amy will be on deck next. Uh, what do you give it? Um, I don't know. C, C plus. C plus. I'll give it a B minus if, if I go with the, with the Mattis thing. Okay. Uh, it's mine. You know, out of five stars, I think... Because I think the good overpowers the bad. I'll mm-hmm. give it three stars. Okay. Three stars because you have that Kevin Smith Oscar clip, Jennifer Garner being charming all throughout. It's one of those movies that is completely average, but some of the moments of acting help kind of like, yeah, okay. Overall, I think I I come out on the positive. When I think back on it, even now you know that I've rewatched it, mm-hmm. I'll think back on it and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that is, that's not a bad movie. That's not a great movie. but It's, it's just clunky. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to someone that's, you know, you can recommend something better. Yeah. There is a better movie about grieving, and you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna laugh, but it's uh, because it has Timothy Oliphant in it too. It came out a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Eddie Strait was here, he would roll his eyes so hard you'd be able to hear it. <laughs> um, and of course, I don't remember what it's called now, but it has Tina Fey, uh, Jason Bateman. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. It was, I don't know, it was one of those movies that when you see it, Eddie's take is always like, okay, that cast is much better than the movie. Mm-hmm. It has any right to be, but he probably hasn't even seen it. I watched it and it was fine. It was funny and it was that kind of thing. This is the same thing, you know. You're at a funeral, Osage, Orange County, or what was that movie called? That's exactly what it's called, but that's not it. Okay, that's Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, another. Just star-studded cast. Okay, but um, well, that's a movie about grieving, right? Uh, 
Yes, because I think the father has died in that one. Mm. Well, and the, the one I'm talking about, it's also... Oh, fuck. Now I need to look it up. Have you ever seen Eulogy? No. With uh, It's a movie about grieving, about a father dying. It's uh, Kelly Preston, Ray Romano, Hank Azaria, Famke Jensen. My God, no. Yeah. From when? Uh, early 2000s. It was like one of Zoe Deschanel's first like leading roles type of thing. Rip Torn is the dad that dies in it. It's uh, it's really good. Do you see him in flashbacks, or or is yeah. he there just for okay? He's also the in the the coffin. <laughs> it's a ghost. This is where I leave you. Is that is that? I would look at the poster. Is that everybody? Uh, it's Kylo Ren in it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, well, I'll have to keep that in mind. For if I were to recommend a movie about grieving, oh, it's got I, Catherine Hahn in it. I do like her. Yep, a comedy about grieving. I would recommend that one before I recommend Catch and Release. But I would mention Catch and Release as a, an okay Jennifer Garner vehicle with an, a surprising performance from Kevin Smith. A charming performance from Kevin Smith. All right. So moving along to plugs. Um, I've been so out of it recently, but I watched SNL. Bill Hader hosted the other day. Uh, and I'll send you a link to post it with it. But they did it. I'm a huge sucker for these skits. They, they've only done it about four or five times where um, the crux of the skit is that it's like celebrating the 25th anniversary of a movie like being released on dvd and blu-ray and like the bonus feature is never before seen like uh casting calls and yeah. audition tapes and things and it's just like people doing impressions of actors auditioning for you know and this one was for jurassic park they had this new guy on the cast who does an awesome wesley snipes impression and uh <laughs> bill Hader was there to reprise his uh alan alda and um, I was telling Eddie, I've never put any thought into what it would take to do a good Lisa Kudrow impression, but Kate McKinnon <laughs> is fucking excellent. Um, I've watched it like three times, so that would be something I've seen recently that I would uh, definitely plug. I started this new video game called This War of Mine that I'm really enjoying, but fucking it's riddled with bugs, so it crashes constantly. Oh, no. yeah. PS4? Yeah. And I, I, I thought it was just something with mine, but I read that's apparently an issue with it. But it was it's only five bucks, so I can't get too mad. Um but keep an update on that. I just started the new season of Love, which I really enjoy that show. I'm not far enough in to have a judgment call yet, but uh, definitely follow up with that. Did you finish Breaking Bad? Not yet. Oh, now I needed something a bit more lighthearted because, <laughs> like, binging that show can be stressful. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, well, I, as you saw online, I watched Good I, Time. I did read the press release. <laughs> uh, it was cute. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it was it was really great. You it liked was, it? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I thought it was great. I My one thing, because, of course, I have to lead with the thing I didn't like, and it's not even that I didn't like it. I just, uh, well, it would keep it from being basically a perfect movie for me. It's just that when it's over, it was, I had a great time, but. I don't know that it left me with anything other mm-hmm. than, oh, Pattinson is a great actor. Yeah. These guys, I'm watching whatever they make next. I'm I'm there, you know? Yeah. But it was just uh, action-packed, really fast-paced, exciting. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Dude, it, it just fucking goes. Right. Like, it, it starts, and then, like, 
like I told you, I saw I watched the trailer for that like 20 times before I saw the movie. Ten minutes in, I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. <laughs> you know what's funny? Because it opens with the close-up of his brother. Mm-hmm. And all I knew about this was that, oh, Pattinson is so great. Pattinson is so great. So I actually wonder if that was Robert Pattinson. He went the De Niro and Raging Bull <laughs> approach. <laughs> Dude, I didn't. I didn't know anything. Well, about he this was movie. still Pattinson. Still was pretty unrecognizable, right? But but I mean, because five yes. minutes in, he walks in. and I'm like, no, that's Robert Pattinson. You know it just there, but uh, I know he talked about when he was prepping for this. He wanted to be uh, so unrecognizable. He said he spent time just walking around like Times Square in Manhattan, just by himself, like with the bleached hair and like the goatee and everything. So, well, it helps when you're not sparkling, like, uh, yeah. a, like a vampire, and you don't have your hair perfectly quaffed. Um, I can see that because it definitely is kind of like Drive in that sense of oh, it's so much better than Drive, man. <laughs> it is. Um, but I mean, in the sense of like, here's this story, and you know, I think that's one of the. If I did have something with Drive, I think Drive is, and I can confirm this having seen the director's <laughs> follow up, bit too preachy, uh, or like the story it tries to convey. With this, it was just kind of like to me, um like the sense of family and everything, but also just inherently some people are bad. And, uh, but to that extent also, I thought it was perfectly fine that I was just like, fuck, that was crazy. <laughs> and that like, it, um, man on the moon, when we recently did, I've been thinking about that all week. <laughs> I've been like, man, I really need to watch that. Whereas like for different reasons, thematically right. acting wise with a good time. I remember I was thinking about it for like weeks afterwards, just cause I was like, I hadn't seen anything like that in so long. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably why it stuck with me so much. It was it was definitely refreshing, and it reminded me a little bit of. Uh, um, I know that it seems like every time we bring up Fury Road in this podcast, it's just to to trash it, <laughs> even though we both think it's a fine movie. But yeah. uh, the reaction to Fury Road, and even the reaction I had when I watched Fury Road, was a little bit like that. Like, wow, that was really cool. It was just relentless fun, mm-hmm. nonstop. And then when it was over, I, I just thought, okay, that was cool. And then I moved on. Yeah. Uh, but it's no set, one else did. <laughs> exactly. It set the internet on fire. Yeah. And, uh, and in this one, I almost feel like it's unfair that it didn't. Yeah. Because it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just, it's, it's kind of like the same feeling, at least in my mind, except that they didn't have three movies, like a franchise of three movies backing them up, mm-hmm. even to help them launch. It was just... And even, I, th- I it could be a lot of things. Reed and I were talking about this, because you know his, uh, his take on it, too. Friend of the podcast, Reed, is he was startled that it, it didn't get more attention, and that I think it was just uh, the Safty brothers are the names. Like, uh-huh. No one really knew who they were, and like... It also didn't go out of its way to campaign itself or anything like that. Right. The only reason I know about it is because you wouldn't shut up about it. And, uh, <laughs> and then I, I saw it like mentioned a couple of podcasts uh, when they were talking about best of the year. But yeah. even then, it was it, it was not like top five or anything. Yeah. And it was towards the bottom, which is still, I mean, obviously top 10 out of the entire year of movies is, is a big deal. But it really felt like not enough people had seen it. Yeah. Um, Pattinson is so good in it, but when you like stop and think about it, his character is just like the most reprehensible, like, uh, you know, screw anyone over just to get his way. Well, dude, when he, it looks like he's about to have sex with a minor. Yeah. That like, I remember audibly going, Whoa, in the movie theater, (laughs) like when he just starts kissing her, I was like, what the hell? Cause it's. It's not even like subtle. They like establish that she's like fifteen or sixteen, and he's in yeah. his thirties. It's yep. like, oh god. Um, yeah, he's good. Uh, 
what's her Jennifer Jason Lee? Is that her? Yeah. She has yeah. that very, very small role, but she's great in it too. Freaking out on the phone. Yeah. Um, so good. I just want to help my friend. <laughs> but you're right about the the um, like the edge of your seat, because when I saw that, like that whole opening credit scene where his brother gets taken to Rikers Island and then uh-huh. people are beating the shit out of him, it's just like holy shit. It's, it's funny because so you have the scene in the in the doctor's office at the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. And then it gives you the title. Uh, it says good time. Yeah. Right. Like and then old, like an old eighties uh, movie too. Yeah. yeah. But then, then it has the, the bank robbery sequence mm. and then it gives you the opening credits. Yeah. And I was just, I just felt like the movie was fucking with me in the best possible <laughs> way. <laughs> it keeps telling you, Oh, you think this is what it's about? No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it, it, it was over and I just wanted more. Yeah. I think that's another thing that kind of, I guess, bummed me. Uh, a little bit at the end that I couldn't believe that he was over. You want to like tie this into what we're talking about here. Um, we were talking about like uh, catch and release about how it was so long and it dragged. That's exactly how I felt too. Good times like 90 minutes and you just like, you're almost like upset when it's over. You're right. like, this is so fucking great. Yeah. It um, has that, that, that shot, man, it was just so amazing when they cut to uh uh the the guy that he picks up is watching from the window, mm-hmm. watching Pattinson run from the cops. Yes, and it's just this, like it's all it looks like and a you video see the game. Bottle but go it, flying. Yeah. yeah, it's just so good. Um, and then the guy, he doesn't jump. He falls trying to like escape. From yeah, the yeah, place. yeah, yeah. Um, that and speaking of uh, uh, of Sheen and The Departed. I mean, that's, oh yeah, that was bad too. Uh, but. The second time I watched it, it the ending, for whatever reason, was so much more uh, emotionally impactful. Uh, probably because I was just fucking spent the first time I watched it because <laughs> I didn't know it was going to happen. But um, when they take his brother to the therapy session and he and at the like, very end, but yeah, how he hesitates for so long to walk to the other side of the room, like it's just really well done. Well, but the the thing that uh, I think that he walks when the question is. Do you, oh man, I remember. Is it like, do you have someone that loves you or do you have a friend or whatever? Whatever the question is, Mm -hmm. it made me feel like he was walking as an answer to that question, not Mm -hmm. just joining the group. Yeah. Uh, And that the answer was clearly Robert Pattinson. Yeah. So, but they do like it. He, um, I think Ben Safdie was the guy's name who played the brother in that, but him just like, it's so good because they linger on him just watching the rest of the class for a while and everything. Yeah. I'm so relieved that you enjoyed it (laughs) because. Um. Yeah, I thought that was excellent. Uh, it was a win-win scenario. Either I, it was a great movie and I loved it, or I hated it and then I got to piss you <laughs> off, and we, and we would argue about it. That is good. Uh, I've to, I've told Eddie he needs to rewatch it because he said that he liked it, but he didn't see what everyone else saw in it. Yeah, I saw he gave it three stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was just. I think that's the the biggest part about it is it was just so different. You get kind of used to a certain way that when you and that goes for anything music uh wrestling whatever um when you see something like that just kind of come out of nowhere especially mm-hmm. where over the past few years it kind of feels like everything's been cookie cutter apparently not shape of water apparently i need to see that though oh that's right you you're you're behind your oscar watching i am very behind uh and according to eddie i must absolutely see three billboards oh I, even though he hates it i, I know that was his favorite movie of uh 2017 <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, you, you should watch it because again, it's a win-win scenario. You either uh, love it and then it's a good movie that you loved, or mm-hmm. you hate it and then we get to argue about it. Get serious banter with Eddie about it. So, uh, 
Yeah. Um, but also, you brought up Man of the Moon, and that's the other thing that I watched. Um, I, oh, is this I, your plug? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched uh, Jim and Andy, and it's not for everyone no, because I watched it too. Okay, you watched it too. Okay, so cool. So we can talk about it. I did. You feel that it wouldn't have been as satisfying if you hadn't watched Man of the Moon? Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That, that was uh, to me. It almost feels like it should have a disclaimer at the beginning that says "Watch Man on the Moon first. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you're missing on a lot of the. I mean, I think at least half of the documentary is Man on the Moon related, and then the other half is Jim Carrey related. Yeah, because that would be my other thing. If you are one of those people that don't care for Jim Carrey, you're probably not going to really get much out of this. Uh, you know, like I, I kind of grew up with Jim Carrey, or at least like part of my formative years of mm-hmm. movie watching or whatever. You know, I was there when he became a star, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't watch him in Living Color, but I was there when Ace Ventura was released, when The Mask was released, and uh, oh man! Speaking of The Mask, I was watching that day, uh, part of it the other day. I, I hate to sound like such a dude, but Cameron Diaz is so hot in that movie, dude. Cameron Diaz, yes. Well, they show her; they have that one clip of the mask in the documentary at the very end, where she throws the mask away. I, I went and watched some of it again just to see, like CGI is amazing, <laughs> but God. Yeah, she was. She stole our hearts. On top of the world. What's What's great is that that movie, or at least I remember when I was watching it, I thought she was not. I didn't think she was gonna be the good girl, and I thought she was gonna mm. turn out to be the bad girl. And but then they flip it. I don't remember who plays the other main female character, but yeah, she turns out to be the villain, and Cameron oh, Diaz classic the, '90s swerve. Uh, yep. Uh. I don't know how much of it I bought, though, the documentary. Of uh, Carrie? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that it, there's two levels to what's happening there. One is what Jim Carrey says happened, mm-hmm. and then what really happened, right? So are you telling me that you don't buy that he was acting in character the entire time? Okay, I certainly don't buy that someone took over his body. Right, yeah. th- but I think that that's him putting into words something that that may be harder to explain you know which is just that he he felt inspired mm-hmm. by by Kaufman's work to just to just approach this this job in a certain way like that part about him talking to Andy Kaufman's daughter as Andy Kaufman is like okay right but see i think that that's why i found fascinating that i'm sure that that happened it's mm-hmm. just that he's telling us his point of view of what happened and then but to the rest of the world, was that morally right? You know, how does that, you know, and, and the fact that everybody, the cast and crew had to put up with him being an asshole. I love that he mentions that, uh, was it Paramount or Universal? That the studio didn't want the, mm-hmm. the the footage released because they didn't want him to look like an asshole yeah. before the release of the movie. And because, of course, he would. That's That's really... The people that were putting up with it were mystified. Every time they cut to Danny DeVito or He's just like uh, scratching the top of his head, Paul Giamatti, they really don't know how to react. Oh, dude, Paul looked over it. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, it's the people that knew Kaufman. They seemed a little like, well, that is kind of like him, mm-hmm. you know. So it was, I don't know. I I really love seeing the reactions and all that stuff. That it was, was definitely a very interesting uh, feature that just timed out or timed well for us having to yeah watch definitely the well and then the other side of it is just the jim carrey side of it i i really enjoyed seeing this 
really calmed down version of him that I haven't seen anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen behind the scenes stuff on his movies and I'm sure even if it exists it's just him being his character yeah. right being the Jim Carrey crazy character which I I, I really like uh, another moment when he's talking about how at some point in your career you have to make a decision if because uh, you create a character to be loved and mm-hmm. then at some point you decide okay do I kill the character and I have to face whether the audience loves the real me or not or I keep the character alive and I just bury my real self really yeah. deep and I go to the grave h- hugging this character. That is a really Yeah. Uh, that's some really complex shit. He and, says some stuff in there that yeah, it's really difficult to grasp as someone who's not in that profession and doesn't do, you know. But that I, also reminds you that it's not like like that. He takes it seriously. Right, it's yeah. not all fun and games. This yeah. is his career and and I'm sure that uh you know, he's talking about how timely some of his movies were, like how Truman's show was perfect for the time in his life where he was at the cusp and everybody was watching. And yeah. that's what Truman was. And, and he thinks that's why he was cast. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I was so tired. I literally watched it. I was going to watch it and my Netflix wasn't working. So that's how I ended up watching uh, Good Time. Mm-hmm. And then after Good Time, I was... Good Time on Amazon? Yeah. Okay. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, and then... When good time was over, partly I guess because the ending had left me wanting more. <laughs> it's like let me try Netflix and see if it's working now, and it was. And I just watched nice uh, Jim and Andy beginning to end. Excellent and double then, feature. Yeah, and then I went and collapsed in bed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great, great stuff. Uh, and then just little plug, tiny plug. I watched Annihilation this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you watch Ex Machina? You did, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's Alex Garland's next okay. movie. Um, Really good, I think. I was really tired on the heels of watching Good Time and Jim and Andy. And the only showtime for Annihilation was at 11 in the morning. So um, I got there and I was really tired. And I was kind of like zoning in and out at some mm-hmm. points. And uh, and it still was like great. It's, it's really nightmarish as a dreamy uh, compared to Ex Machina, which is a little more just easier to follow. Yeah. But uh, but it's still really good. It has some really amazing sequences. And as soon as it was over, I just wanted to watch it again. Uh, so I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend it. It it sucks because it's already almost out of theaters, at least yeah. in the Austin area. It didn't seem to set the world on fire. Mm-mm. Oh, it didn't help that they uh, Paramount did this really weird thing where I guess it shows the faith they have in the movie. It it didn't get an international theatrical release. Really? Yeah, internationally, it's just playing on Netflix. Hmm. So. Uh, I saw a bunch of tweets from our Australian friends, Chaz included, where they were just saying, okay, well, sucks that I can't watch it in theaters, but at least I can watch it like right away. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, outside of that, usual stuff. Uh, Festive Years provide our opening and closing tracks. Uh, we have our email address, which is wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, complaints, what have you. Um Outside of that, did you have anything else to add? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. He had his phone out, so I was just making sure. <laughs> uh, well, we always, as always, appreciate you joining us here. Uh, uh, coming back next uh, episode with an actual Kevin Smith movie that he wrote and directed. And the one that I have been told years and years, if not decades, that I need to watch. Oh, uh, man, the hype. Now, that's that's mm. that might affect you in a negative way. Uh, Chasing Amy, which I understand will be the Criterion version that we're watching. Yes. Excellent. Uh, but with that in mind, 
As always, appreciate you tuning in. That's going to do it for us on The Contrarians here where we're right and you are wrong, and we will catch you next time. Uh, would it be, doesn't Curtis love Summer uh, Catch or... The one with Drew Barrymore? Yeah. The baseball movie? I don't know. I've seen it. Not much to love there. It's Jimmy Fallon. Anyway, sidetracked. This movie just... Jimmy can... Fallon saying like, I'm going to keep making movies like this unless you give me a talk show. <laughs> Motherfucker. Uh...